Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Man, I don't, I don't say this enough, but we are blessed with some incredibly talented people, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Praise the Lord. From, from Stacy's leadership all the way down through our, our, our praise team and, and the people that play the instruments and sing, amazing, fantastic job. I want to talk about a couple of very quick things before I begin preaching this morning. Uh, upcoming Deeper Roots, there's some things going on you need to know about. We've got a whole new section starting here the 22nd of February. Pick up a brochure. If you've already been in Deeper Roots class, there's now another section. And it's all explained there on the little brochure. Pick one of these up. A lot of fantastic classes. We want you to be a part of those. And uh, they happen on Wednesday night. An opportunity for you to deepen your faith, grow in your walk, and uh, learn more about Christ. And so we're just going to encourage you to be a part of those classes. Again, a second round beginning this 22nd of February. I want to talk for a minute again about the exciting news I gave you last week about our building. If you'd pull the house lights up again for me, I just I like to be able to see everybody when I'm talking to them about this stuff. Uh, I challenged you last week to begin the process of prayer for some sanctuary expansion and some building expansion. God has blessed us. We're filled this morning. Um, This is about as many as we can get in here. There's a few cracks here or there, but we need some more space, praise the Lord. Uh, We're out of space in here. 11 is growing. 830 is full. Our children's department is, is really overflowing at the seams. And so we've been praying for a while thinking for a while, trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord for a while. And uh, I talked about this last week, so if you've already heard it, it's just another opportunity. If you weren't here last week, I want you to hear. But I want you to bring the first picture up, if you would, please, Wanda. We believe the Lord has kind of led us to this point after several years of prayer and study. And I want you to know when I say that, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We've been praying earnestly for years about this. This just didn't happen last week. Uh, we've been seeking godly counsel professional people, professional designers, professional building uh, consultants to get to this point. We believe that we're at a point now where we can expand and do it within an amount of money that we can continue our ministries. And so just some very quick things I want you to be aware of, and I talked a little bit about this last week. We're proposing that we expand the interior of this sanctuary. These interior walls can come down. We'll kind of lengthen the sanctuary. We believe we can add 150 to 175 new seats which is a pretty significant increase for us. That's about a 40% increase. We would do that across three services. The plan is to continue to do three services. I didn't mention that last week, and my staff reminded me of that. So my apologies. We're going to continue to do three services. We can't get everybody in one room. Uh, Even if we added 170, 150, 175 seats, we can't get everybody in one room. And plus, if we we could squeeze into one room, we'd be filled up on day one. That doesn't make sense for our long-term growth. And so we're going to continue to do three services. We're going to move the 8.30 service into here. So we'll have 8.30, 9.30, and 11 all in the worship center here, which is very exciting. We get an expansion of the worship center, a complete interior remodel. So uh, as beautiful as the mauve carpet is, it's going away. I know. We'll, we'll auction off squares at a foot of a time if you love it that much, I promise. But it's going away. P- complete redo of the interior of the sanctuary. A lot more seating. Uh, a complete redo of the outside. A brand new lobby that would sit out towards the, the, uh, the, the parking lot there. You can see it kind of on the outside there with the tower and the drive under. That's all brand new. To the top right is a cross. That's a facade over the current chapel, which is Praise Park next door. And then the very top right is a brand new children's building, which we're very excited about. About 4,200 square feet. 
eat. Uh, so the children are going to continue to use everything they use. You may not know this, but our children fill up the entire old church. So the original chapel, all of the original Sunday school rooms in that wing, that's all children's department now. So we've got more kids now than when, when fit in our regular uh, building back in the 1960s. They use it twice. They do two, two Sunday schools like we do on Wednesday night. They can't even fit in it. They have to move out here, and they've expanded out into the uh, fellowship hall. So I'm excited about giving them more space and more opportunity to grow with the children's building, uh, with the additional space there. So we get a complete remodel inside, really a, a facade remodel on the complete outside of the building, new children's building. Go ahead and go to the next picture if you would for me, please, Wanda. Just a picture again of the, of the new lobby, glass across the front, a drive under, a, a beautiful element there, the tower that kind of uh, displays the cross, and, and we just thought that could be really pretty for us, especially at night, to light that up. Next slide, if you would, please. Picture the children's building, how it connects to our current facilities and what that's going to look like. By the way, we've got the pictures up down here. In the, you may have seen them already coming in in the missions area in the lobby. Take a look at those. And then the fourth picture, just across the front, you kind of get the whole picture there of what the brand new front's going to look like. Um, this is, again, the 30,000-foot view. So here's, here's kind of where we're going with this. Uh, beginning in March, so we've got the rest of this month. Beginning in March, we're going to start having opportunities to meet with you guys in kind of large settings in the evenings here. And we'll begin to answer questions. So we'll give you the chance to ask any questions you want to ask. We'll tell you everything we know, kind of where we got to, how we got to this point and why we're doing this and how we think the Lord's moving. But I believe we can do all or, or the vast majority of this debt-free. We think we can pay for most of it up front, which is very exciting for us and continue the ministries that the Lord has given us. All you need to do right now is pray about it. That's all you need to do. And, and I'm asking you in, in, in very serious, uh, uh, just in seriousness here for you to do this. I don't want you just to say, yeah, I'll pray about it never do it. I'd really like you to pray about this. This is the future of our church. This is a big decision for us, a big commitment. This will really propel us years and years in the future, allow us to continue to grow, continue to reach kids. Uh, it'll allow us to do it in, in a budget that allows us to continue to, to, continue to go to the nations and, and to the people of LaGrange and Troop County in this region. So this is a big deal for us. I need you to pray about it, pray about God's will, God's direction, and that God would provide the resources necessary to make this happen, okay? So add that to your prayer list. Be thinking about that. There's a lot more to say about it, but I wanted, again, just to remind you this morning for those that weren't here and maybe for those that were, just to say a few things I didn't say last week. So praise the Lord what he's doing. Praise the Lord we've got to have these kind of conversations. There's lots of people that are saying, you know, we're meeting next Tuesday night to figure out how to pay the light bill. We just may have to close up shop. There are hundreds of churches a year. You know, like 800 churches a year in the SBC closed down. Did you know that? 800 churches a year just close up shop because they can't figure out how to pay the lights. That's the truth. So we're, we're on the other end of that spectrum, so it's very exciting for us. I want you to pray about it and just be thankful to the Lord that he's brought us to this point, okay? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing, for what you've given us. How exciting that we have to think about new space, Father. It's, it's uh, just a, a great day at Rosemont as we continue to see you do great things. And we praise your name, Father. We praise your name for what you've done really from the beginning. We ask you just to give us a clear path, a clear direction forward, Father, as we make decisions moving forward. And just give us the resources necessary. Provide the resources we need to accomplish what you've called us to accomplish, Father. We want to do great, great things for you and for your kingdom for decades and decades to come. We trust you, Lord, to make that happen. So be with us this morning as we open up the truth of your word. Give us the ability to hear with spiritual eyes. Give us the ability, Lord, just to really examine our own hearts and our own minds. May you receive honor and glory in everything that's said and done. And Father, I pray through the power of the Spirit and as we study your word, we could be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Take your Bibles and open to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We are continuing our study this morning. It's our third week in our sermon series we've entitled Faith in Action, a study through the the letter of James. And we've called it Faith in Action because James is extremely practical. James really asks and demands us to live out our faith. And so I would kind of just paraphrase James, and we're going to see this even more and more this morning. You can't be passive in your faith. It's not enough just to show up and listen and never do anything with what you've learned. James says to us, if, if your faith is real, and he's, man, I'm telling you, you better be ready this morning because he's going to challenge some assumptions you may have made over the years. But he's going to say to us, if our faith is real, if our faith is true, then we need to have action. We, we need to do something about it. And so he started, and we started three weeks ago, with the idea of trials. How difficult trials are and how hard they are on us. But he gives us kind of this picture of how to navigate through those. And he says, listen, you need to be joyful in your trials. You need to mature in your faith during your trials. You need need to believe that the Lord is at work during your trials. And And then we saw last week that if we do those things, if we find joy and trust the Lord in the middle of the trials and we mature in our faith, then we are blessed. And James says that we receive the crown of life. And that's just a very interesting phrase. James doesn't say if you're faithful during your trials and you grow, you grow during your trials, you're going to receive a crown of gold or a crown of jewels or a crown of diamonds. You're going to receive a crown of life. And we said that basically means life in Christ. It's a life of joy and a life of peace and a life of hope. And, and let me just say this to you right now. No, no matter where you are and what trial of life you're going through right now, there is always hope in Christ. Always Many of you have been around long enough to see this, and if you haven't, let me just tell you it's true. Uh, We've seen, and I've seen, and you've seen some of the most um, miraculous things happen in some of the deepest trials of life. Amen? Right? We've seen that, haven't we? The worst possible trial, sometimes this God shows himself faithful. And so I, I just want you to hear that truth in the struggle you're having right now that God is always at work and there's always hope in Christ. And so James is going to kind of continue this idea this morning of being practical and he's going to add now to this some challenges and some tests and some examinations you need to have in your life personally. So we'll begin this morning in James chapter 1, beginning of verse 19. I think we have it on the screen. You can read along as well where you are. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's truth number one. As believers, we must first receive the word of God. As believers, we need to receive the word of God. Now, James gives us kind of a very practical beginning here in verse 19. Let me just paraphrase it for you. James says, you need to stop talking so much, you need to listen more, and you need to control your anger. That's what he says. 
A lot easier said than done, right? I just wish some days, and maybe you feel like this, I wish some days I had a little magic wand I could just wave at people. And it'd be like this, stop talking. (laughs) Right? Listen a little bit more. Quit being so angry. I mean, if I owned that wand, the world would be an amazing place. Wouldn't everything would be perfect, right? But then I think, you know, I'd probably have to wave it at myself a little bit more than I waved it at you. This is easy to read, and it's good to think about, but it's very difficult to do, isn't it? Why? Because we like to hear ourselves talk, don't we? We like to say things to people. We, we, we like for people to know our opinions. And oftentimes, if we were honest, there, there are plenty of chances in our lives, plenty of times in our lives, when we're not nearly as interested in listening to what you have to say as we are in saying what we want to say. And you know what often happens in those moments when we're busy talking and not very good at listening and we say what we want to say and don't listen to what you want to say? Sometimes that leads to anger, doesn't it? That's what James says. And I'm reminded of James chapter 4, verse 2. We'll see this in a few weeks. Here's what James says. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James says we get angry oftentimes because we don't get what we want. We get angry oftentimes because we're so busy telling you what, what we think and we're not really listening to what you think and we don't come to any kind of agreement. Sometimes we get angry. James says you, you need to kind of calm down, right? Very practically, you need to talk less, listen more, control your anger. Now, if you want an example of somebody that did this, you don't have to look any farther than Christ. When you think about the life of Christ and how Christ responded in certain times in his life, Christ was beaten, Christ was falsely accused, Christ was arrested, Christ was crucified. Yet there's not one single instance of Christ being angry at his accusers. You know that? Not one time. Not only that, but but Isaiah 53 tells us like, like a lamb before his shearers, he was silent. He didn't talk. He didn't yell at them. He didn't scream at them. He didn't tell them how bad they were and how wrong they were. He was slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. It's a model we need to live out in our lives. You say, that's a, that's a good model. I like that. I wish I could do that. How do I do it? Look at verse 21. James gives us a little bit of an indication here. There are kind of three main ideas to this verse. I want you to see them. Therefore, in other words, so because of this, therefore, if you want to do these, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's kind of the first thing. You need to put away the bad and receive with meekness the implanted word. You replace it with the good, which is then able to save your souls. Huh. So James says, if you want to kind of live your life like this, you need to take the bad and the old and replace it with the good. Any, any of you guys reading the, the King James Version this morning? How many have King James? A few of you? I always, when I, when I study through this, I like to read other translations. I'm preaching out of the ESV, but I like to read through other translations because I like sometimes the way they're phrased. I want you to listen to how the King James says it. The, the ESV says filthiness and rampant wickedness. King James says filthiness and, here it is, superfluity of naughtiness. Isn't that interesting? That's just a cool phrase. That, that, that should be a shirt somewhere, you know, with the X across it. Super, we're against the superfluity of naughtiness. James says, you need to take the bad stuff and you need to replace it with the good. I think about, you know, if you've ever done work on a house. I had a little spot in my house several years ago that had kind of rotted away. It was, it was up under the roof. Nothing major, but a couple of two-by-fours and boards I had to replace. And before I could replace all that stuff, I had to get up there and I had to tear out the old 
So I spent a lot of time tearing out the rotted stuff, and I cut back a little bit in the wood, so I was getting into good wood, and I cleaned it out really good, and you have to sometimes treat it from mold and mildew. You can't replace with the good until you've gotten rid of the old, can you? James says you need to take the, the filthiness and the naughtiness and the wickedness and all of these things in your life and you need to take them out. You need to remove those things and you need to replace them with the good. Bring up verse 21 again. In this case, the good is the implanted word of God, right? So remove the filthiness and the wickedness and receive, right? This is the idea of receiving the word of God. Receive with meekness the implanted word. You know, sometimes we have this desire to, to do better and to be kinder. And maybe you're listening to this sermon right now and you're thinking, you know what, I do need to control my tongue a little bit. I don't need to speak as much. Maybe I need to listen more. Maybe I do need to control my anger. Maybe it's at work or maybe now that's spilled over into my home with my wife or my kids or, or in some type of a, a social setting or whatever the case may be. And you say, I, I need to control my tongue a little bit. I need to control my anger, but I, I'm not quite sure how to do it. James says, well, you need to do it by filling your mind up with the Word of God. It's very simple. You replace all the bad instead with the good. Now, I want you to understand something, and many of you know this, but some of you may not. If you're new or you're not quite sure about Christ this morning, what Christianity means, you need to understand this is not just some other book. Right? It's bound and it has glue and, and stitches and pages and ink. and There's similarities to other books, but it's not in the other book. It's the Word of God. And it's His writing to us, it's his letter to us, it's his information to us about how we ought to live our lives. And I love talking to people about the Bible because the Bible, if you really understand it and really understand where it came from, it's kind of hard to argue. It's it's hard to say it too. Authenticity. (laughs) It's real. That's what I'm trying to say. It's real. That's easier. I should have said it like that. So when you talk about the Bible with people and you can explain to them that it's real and it's authentic, they don't understand because you say things like this. You know, the Bible is 66 books written over about 1,500 years, 40 authors or so, and yet they all kind of have the same theme. In other words, we've seen this in our study, but the Old Testament points time and time and time and time again to Christ and Christ's return and what Christ is going to accomplish. And you ask a question, you know, if we got 40 different authors together over the course of 1,500 years and had them write all these different books, would the books be the same? Of course not. Would there be themes that carried from one book to the other? Of course not. It would be impossible. And if we see this message... Over and over in the Word of God. It just just proves that it's true. It proves that it really is God's Word. And James says, listen, you you need to take this Word. You need to take this truth. You need to receive it. And apply it to your life. Now let me just be very clear here because I want to get into something that I I, want to challenge you with just a little bit. We're going to delve into this just for a minute. If you think to yourself, yeah, it's a good idea for me to understand this and to apply it to my life because I want to be a better person or I want to learn more about the Lord. I want to, I want to live a, a better life. Those things are all good, yes. But there's a lot more at stake in verse 21. I want you to listen to what James says. This is very important. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Right? You're putting away the old. Receive with meekness the imparted word. You're replacing it with the good, which is able to save your souls. Now keep that up there just for a second if you would. I want you to understand something very important. As James teaches about God's word 
and understanding God's Word and living for Christ, you need to understand something very clearly. Your very souls are at stake. You understand that? It's not just about living a good life. It's not simply about being kind. It's not simply about being a nice guy. James says, if you're not going to do this the way the Lord commands, if you're not going to receive this teaching, if you're not going to apply this teaching, your very souls are at stake. And so I want to be very clear just for a second. I don't want anybody to walk away here not understanding this idea of salvation. The Bible teaches very simply that we are all sinners. We make mistakes, we do things wrong, we kind of mess it up. And the Bible teaches because of that sin, we are separated from a holy God. And there's this, this, this gigantic gap between us. And there's nothing we can do to jump that gap. The, the, the niceness and the kindness and the good words and all those things are good, but they don't get us across that gap. The only thing that can get us across that gap, that can bridge that gap, is Christ. Why? Because Christ gave his life for our sins. And God says, because what Christ did for us, our sins have been forgiven. We are viewed as righteous. We have a right standing again with the Lord. So it's only through that relationship with Jesus Christ that we are saved. Can't be good enough, can't be nice enough, can't give enough money, can't show up to church enough times. It's all about our relationship with Christ. James says, if you're not receiving this and understanding this and applying this, your souls may be at stake. Now let's set that aside for a second. We're going to come back to it. Look at verse 22. But, he says, so instead, right, don't just receive it, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I believe that's kind of a key verse in this whole section in James. If you're taking notes, verse 22 is awfully important. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, so the first truth, the first idea here is we need to receive the word of God because our very souls are at stake. But here's truth number two. As believers, then we must respond to God's call with action. We need to respond to God's call with action. Verse 22 again, James is very clear. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. James could not have been any clearer here. James couldn't have put this in any better words. It's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to understand it. It's not enough just to show up and listen. It's not enough just to hear the truth. You need to be a doer. You need to respond. You need to move to action. James says it's not enough just to listen because if you just listen and never do anything, you are deceiving yourselves. Now, I want to make a statement. I want to get back into that just for a minute. I want to make a statement that may be shocking to some of you, but I think I can, I think I can prove it biblically. 
I think James has just come out in verse 21 with his idea of, of the idea of saving our souls, reminding us that our salvation is at stake. It's more than just being a good guy, right? We need to think about how we live. We need to think about how we act. And he goes right into verse 22 by explaining after he's challenged our salvation, it's not enough just to be passive. It's not enough just to hear. We need to do, Okay. So I want to make a statement to you that may sound kind of shocking, but I believe it's James' intent. I believe James is saying to to us that if you claim to be a Christian, let that sink in just for a second, okay? If you claim to be a Christian, but are not following the teaching of Christ and the teaching of God's Word, if you're not living your life for Christ, you are deceived and you're not really a believer, I want that just to just settle that, just let that settle in just for a second. James says, if you're just a hearer and you're not a doer, you have deceived yourself. Now, some of you are thinking, Adam, are you, are you saying to me I'm not really a Christian? I'm not saying anything to you, but James might be. And I think it's an important enough question that we ought to consider it. See, we're not just talking about life here on earth. We're not just talking about abundance here on earth. We're not just talking about peace and hope and joy, although all those things come with it. We're talking about eternity here, folks. We're talking about understanding the truth of God's Word, understanding His message, applying it to our lives, leading us to action. And because of that, James says, you need to be careful. You need to understand because if you're simply listening and not doing, you may be deceived. You say, okay, fair enough. Maybe I am deceived. How do I know? Look at verse 23. James is going to give us kind of some ideas to think through here. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, now he's going to give us this neat analogy. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the Bible, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says we need to examine ourselves, and he uses this illustration of a mirror, right? We need to look at our lives compared to the truth of God's word, and we need to, if things are wrong, make changes. James says nobody looks in a mirror and sees problems and then walks away and doesn't fix them. When you look in a mirror, the whole point of looking in a mirror is to make corrections, right? Now, some of us, there's not a whole lot of correction that can be made. I mean, this is, this is about as good as it gets. There's not much I can do. But some of y'all have opportunity to make yourselves up and look really nice. And so you look in the mirror and you, you put on makeup and you fix it if it's messed up. If your hair doesn't look right, you fix your hair and make it the way. You look in the mirror and you you see a big, you know, green piece of lettuce between your teeth. You don't walk away and leave it, do you? Your hair's all messed up. You don't walk away and forget about it. James says nobody looks at the mirror and forgets. You fix it. And he says, listen, we need to examine our lives. We need to examine our hearts. And if you're noticing something right now in God's Word, in the reflection of God's Word back upon your life, if you're noticing things in your life right now that need to be corrected, then you need to correct them. 
Because if you're just hearing all this and you're not doing anything about it, your soul may be at stake. We need to respond to God with action. It's not enough simply to hear what He has to say. And so James kind of asks us to examine ourselves, to examine our lives, and he begins to ask questions through this text. And in the the weeks before and the weeks after, we'll begin to see this. But he asks questions like this, are you slow to anger or do you get upset pretty easily? Those are indications of your walk with the Lord. Are you filled with the Word of God or are you filled with wickedness and filthiness? Does your, does your life demonstrate the righteousness of God? Do you, do you act on your faith or do you simply come and listen and hear and never do? Are you truly living your life for Christ or are you living your life for somebody else? Are you interested in God's word? Are you interested in living your life according to God's word? Are you interested in serving the Lord? James says you need to be a doer. Because if you're not doing any of those things, if you're not showing any action in your faith, if you're not actually showing the world how you ought to live and how you ought to, how you ought to demonstrate the truth of Christ, you may just be a hearer and you may be deceiving yourself. And that's too big of an issue for us to overlook in our lives. I've told you guys before that I grew up in the home of a dad who was a sports writer. And I've, I've used those examples before, but I'll never forget several years ago because he was a sports writer and because I grew up with him, I got to go to all kind of cool sporting events. And I'll never forget many years ago, we, we'd gone to the Georgia Dome. It was one of, and I don't remember the exact details of when it happened, but it was one of the semifinal games of the Georgia High School Association football playoffs. And if you've ever been to the Dome for those games, and I'm assuming, I don't know if they still do the semifinals there, if they do the finals, but the way it used to work then is they had the semifinal games, so they would have the Class A, then Double A, then Triple A, then, you know, so all day games, and then all day games the next day. And we'd gone to watch these games, and, and because Dad had done this for so many years, he kind of knew the ropes, and, and I was with him and a couple other guys, and we had these little press passes that we used for all the local high school games. And so we parked our car we were supposed to and got out and kind of walked up to the entrance of the Georgia Dome, the press entrance. And we had our passes, but nobody stopped us. And so we just kind of, we just walked right on in. So we walked in the Georgia Dome, you know, you're on the ground level and you kind of wind your way through the tunnels and you wind your way out to the floor level, which is where the field is. You walk out on the field and around the field and out on the sideline. And we were probably 45 minutes, maybe an hour before the game. So we're just sitting on the sidelines. Now, my dad had been doing this for years, so he knew everybody. You know, he's constantly talking to people, and coaches are coming by, and even some of the officials he knew, and players are warming up, and the clock's ticking down. We're 30 minutes before game, 15, 10 minutes, and, and, and probably five, six, seven minutes before the game starts, right? We're gearing up. Everybody's ready. The crowd's filling up. Bands are playing. We're excited. We're standing there getting ready for kickoff. A security guard walks up to us, and he says, I'd like to see your credentials, please. Well, we, you know, we pull out our little press pass that we'd use in all these other high school events. He said, no, no, I need the, the Georgia Dome credentials, the one you get from the press office. And we were like, well, we didn't get any credentials from the press office. What do you need to do? He said, well, you can't be here without these credentials. He said, you're going to have to go back out. Now, if you've ever been to the Georgia Dome, you know from the field level to get back outside is quite a walk. You've got to walk across the field, around all the tunnels, out, and then literally where we needed to go all the way back around to the other side of the dome to the press office. So we missed about the first quarter of the game because we didn't have the right credentials. But, but I, I think that's an interesting analogy because we thought we had what we needed. We walked around like everything was good. 
We talked to everybody and we're gearing up and we thought everything was fine because we thought we had what we needed until we had to actually show our credentials and demonstrate who we really were and then we couldn't do it. I think sometimes that happens with us in salvation. James says you need to be awfully careful because you may be walking around talking the talk, saying the right things in the right places. You may be living your life and you may think everything's good, but when the day comes and you've got to produce your credentials and explain to the Lord why you should enter into heaven, you're not going to be able to do it. I think that's too big of a mistake to make when it comes to salvation. Craig Bloomberg in his commentary said this, Religious self-deception occurs in which people can be mistaken in thinking that they are truly right with God when they are not. Such sham religion has devastating consequences for one's eternal destiny. So you need to constantly examine your heart and your life compared to the truth of the Word of God. And if you're not in a personal, growing relationship with Christ, if you've not taken this and moved it into your heart and allowed this to come truth and action in your life, then James would say, you are deceived. So he continues to think through that idea with us in verse 26. Look at that with me if you would please. Pull that out, Wanda. Verse 26, again, if anyone thinks he's religious, right? So just a pause there. Apparently, there's a group of people that think they're religious and they're not really. If anybody thinks they're religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So so we receive the Word of God, first of all. Then we should respond to the Word of God. Our faith should become action. And then truth number three, as believers then, we must recognize the needs all around us. As our faith becomes real and becomes action and we move from a hearer to a doer, we should begin to recognize needs around us. Now James makes this kind of startling statement in verse 26 that we just looked at. If you think you're religious but you can't bridle your tongue, your heart is deceived and your religion is worthless. But then he tells us in verse 27, here's pure and undefiled religion. Bring 27 up again for me if you would please. There, there are kind of two ideas here. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James says there's, there's kind of two ways in which you can compare, two ways in which you can look in the mirror, two tests you can kind of examine your life with. The first is an inward test. Are you growing in personal holiness? Are you keeping yourself unstained from the world? Are you replacing the old with the good? Are you receiving the Word of God? Are you spending time growing in your faith, growing in your walk, learning the words of Christ, doing the things He's called you to do? That's kind of the inward test. And so if you you get to that point and you realize, you know, I'm not doing any of those things, James would say, be careful. Be careful. 
But then there's an outward test. It's kind of like this idea of, of inward holiness. It's the idea of growing within and growing in your walk with Christ. That should now produce an outward test, right? So James says there's the inward test of personal holiness. Then there's this outward test, ministering to those in great need. And he talks about widows and orphans. Now I would say to you, and I'm not, I'm not putting words in James' mouth, but I believe we can make a, a, a pretty uh, a true statement to say James would not have just limited this to wid- widows and orphans. I mean, this group was, was prevalent in his time and in that society. I think James would say to us, listen, we need to minister to people in need. That's pretty much what he's saying. Certainly that would include widows and orphans. So there, there's an inward test of growth and holiness and seeking the Lord and his word. And then there's an outward test of taking that truth and applying it, letting the hearer become the doer, and in so doing, ministering to people in great need. One writer says it like this. I'm going to read you this quote. Doing good, even the name of Jesus, will bring few to Christ when others see no inward transformation in those reaching out to them. Conversely, the most pious moral believers who refuse to help the needy of the world will find their attempts to convince others of Jesus' love often falling on deaf ears. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this, how genuine is your faith? Are you growing in your walk? Are you growing personally? Are you, are you loving others? Are you, are you putting Christ at the center of everything you do? Because one of the things we want to do at Rosemont is we want to allow you to take your faith and to put it into action. We want to give you a chance to do things to minister to people. Rosemont's done a, a great job of ministering to those in need. And I want you to hear a little bit more about it today. I want to give you a chance this morning to put your faith into action. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.